Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend, and members left the church in the latter example. An argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Okay, all right, here we go. A dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. The church, not just a building, but the body of Christ. Individual followers of Jesus Christ make up the body of Christ collectively. But unfortunately, even Christians can still have issue with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are real examples. And apparently it's just one of a plethora of examples that I have. But can I just say this? Is it no wonder that the world laughs at us sometimes? I mean, at the idea of the church and these people who are followers of Jesus. Is that what church is? Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we move into chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians in our series, Crossroads. The church in Corinth was made up of an eclectic mix of people, both Jews and Gentiles. As we've already seen in our study, there was division in the church because members of the church like to identify with one leader over another. They liked their teaching style or the way they looked or they told a funnier joke or their wife played piano. I don't know. They began to look at a particular leader and say, that's my guy. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. And they created these divisions because they began to think that one was superior to the other. In chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is going to confront the church with its actions, calling out their judgmental attitude and reminding them that everyone has responsibility in the body of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Clay. Hey, I was reading an article recently, reading an article recently about a a tweet that was sent out, uh, a, a survey that was tweeted out asking people to respond about Uh, their church about fights that have taken place in their church, what churches have fought over. Tragically, Twitter blew up. I say tragically, but not unexpectedly for those of us that have been in church for more than five minutes. Stuff can happen, right? I mean, stuff can happen. I'm just saying, stuff can happen (laughs) in churches. Uh, But anyway, so so, uh, Twitter blew up with people responding to different fights that churches have gotten in over just, and, and the survey specifically was asking just silly stuff that your church has had a, had a church fight or church split or something over. And so the article listed uh, 25 of uh, what, what the writer of the art article believed were the, the best ones. I, I don't know that I have time to read all of them, but I was going through and I was going to star the ones that I was going to uh, read, and I ended up starring, I think, 23 of them, so it's just it's hard, to, hard to not, because they're, come on, come on. Okay, here, here's some of them. Argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Where is he? Hmm, hmm. The worship pastor's beard. The worship pastor's not even listening back there. I'm talking about it. He's not even listening to me. He doesn't have a beard, so I don't guess I have to worry about it. A little scruffy, but. Fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or use the land for a cemetery. Now I, now, I can see where that, you know, might be a little sensitive. You've got so much land. You want to take care of them while you raise them up or take care of them while you're putting them down? I, I don't know. Um, 
a deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and deciding to settle the matter out in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, Let's see. A church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. And the answer is there should be no clock in the worship center at all, ever. Clocks are of the devil when you're preaching. No, Um, Here we go. A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Black or brown, two, three, or four drawer. A petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. Somebody clearly had a problem with facial hair. (laughs) Here's the worship pastor again. I don't know what the deal is with this. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. A big church argument over the discovery that the church budget, budget was off 10 cents. Then it says someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. <laughs> it's a peacemaker in the midst. A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. Um, uh, business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve it. Arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve. Everybody knows that Del Monte is the best. I don't know why that would even... I have no idea. I don't know. I, my wife, whatever she... They're good. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a, to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend, and members left the church in the latter example. Now, coffee is a pretty serious thing, but... I, okay, here we go. Let's get Kale in on this. Uh, major conflict when the youth borrowed a crock pot that had not been used for years. Apparently borrowed it out of the church kitchen, I guess. Youth pastors, just letting them just go get crock pots. Next thing you know, they're taking over the world. An argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Listen, we don't even have to pray about that. Yes, you must have deviled eggs at the church meal. Uh, Let's see, an argument over who has authority to buy postage stamps for the church. (laughs) I like this one. A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. (laughs) Uh, Oh, it's, again, you coffee drinkers. A church member was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee server, and it looked too much like liquor. (laughs) Um... An argument in church over who has access to the copy machine. Uh, Some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. And it resulted in a major fight and a split. An argument over whether uh, to have gluten-free communion bread or not. We settled that one. I just said, let's have gluten-free bread for people that are allergic to it. A dispute. Oh, here's a good one. Wait, Wait a minute. Okay, all right, here we go. A dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. (laughs) A fight over whether or not to sing happy birthday each week. And uh, here, one more. An argument over whether the fake dusty plants should be removed from the podium. Listen, can I just say to you, and and I know, you know, that, I mean, those those are real examples. And apparently it's just one of a plethora of examples that I have. But can I, can I just say this? Is, is it no wonder that, that the world laughs at us sometimes? 
I mean, at the idea of the church and these people who are followers of Jesus. And, and, and is, that, is that what church is? Is that what, what this thing you mean? Is that what we are? Is that what this thing is about? Is how we can manage to get on each other's nerves and fight about this or that or whatever? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 this morning. The text will be up on the screen as well. Uh, but if you have a copy of God's Word, you can open there. And we're going to talk a little bit about this body of Christ and what it really ought to be. This is, this is a big subject in, in, in the letters to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, beginning this morning in verse 1. Everybody with me? Everybody here today? Everybody alert, awake, at least at this moment? I got my coffee. It is not Folgers or Starbucks. And it has Bailey's Irish cream in it. I think it's non-alcoholic, but I, I'm just... Okay, so all this stuff's going on, right? And if you've been in this series, you know we've been now. We're launching off into chapter 4. Listen to what he says. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Some translations may have faithful. Verse 3, but to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Father, thank you uh, that, uh, that you guide and direct our, our lives. We uh, confess to you that it's amazing how often we can blow it and, and how we can just uh, act very carnal, fleshly at times in our lives. Not just in church, maybe in our homes, maybe at our workplace, maybe out on the highway, Lord God. We still live in this flesh, and it wants to rear its ugly head a lot in our lives. But thank you so much for the truth of your word that, that when we uh, fuel up, when we spend time in your word, and when we spend time drawing near to you, praying to you, talking with you, uh, I, I really do, as I've told many people, I, I equate that to fueling up. And you produce in our lives it's not clay trying to do it or anybody it's you producing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control lord god when i think about those characteristics of the fruit you produce i think man if we were producing that all the time in our lives we would have very few disagreements and so it means when we do have disagreements it it means we're operating in the flesh would you forgive us Holy Spirit, would you quicken our spirit? Would you remind us, convict us, and change us? Uh, Today, as we look uh, to just these five verses in chapter 4, Father God, help us to to make application for our lives, for for this church, Cross-Culture Church, sure, but for all of us that make up Cross-Culture Church, the homes that are represented at Cross-Culture Church, the marriages that are represented at Cross-Culture Church, uh, the the employees that, that go out and work in the workplace, all of us, Lord God. May we uh, take the truth of your word and apply it to our lives. And we ask it today in the name of our Savior. His name is Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. Okay, here's an idea to start with today. Just a couple of main ideas that we're going to start, uh, that we're going to share with you uh, today. First one looks like this. Within the body of Christ, responsibilities vary, but everybody has some. Would y'all say that with me out loud? Within the body of Christ, responsibilities vary, but everybody has some. Let me just read verses 1 and 2 again real quick to you uh, as Tyler uh, brings it up on the, on the screen. It says, let a man regard us in this manner. As servants of Christ and stewards, watch this now, and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. If you have been in this series with us, then you know there is this reoccurring theme that keeps coming up. Uh, This issue, this fight, this argument, this split that was being created within the church meeting in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, this church that the Apostle Paul had established a number of years or a few years before. And now he's gone. He's continuing on missionary journeys. And others have been there. Apollos has been there at some point. And, and for whatever the reason, the different church members, different groups of church members within the church itself had begun to identify with one particular leader or another that they considered more superior, better. They liked their teaching style or the way they looked or they told a funnier joke or their wife played piano. I don't know. For some, some reason, they, they, looked, they, they looked, began to look at a particular leader and, and say, that's my guy. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of, I'm of Cephas or Peter. And they, and they created these divisions because they began to think that one was superior to the other when in fact what they were doing was using that to make themselves th- think that they were superior to the other people, the other groups in the church, because, well, Paul's clearly better, and and I'm following Paul, so y'all are... And, well, no, everybody knows that Apollos is a a great Greek scholar, and and, and he's he's very superior, so y'all are... Well, uh, no, we're... And so, you understand? They, they They were puffing themselves up. They were making themselves superior because of their choice for who they thought their leader was. So Paul, chapter 4 opens here... Paul says, okay, okay, y'all, y'all, y'all keep wanting to put us up on this pedestal. Y'all keep wanting to, to make us some, some something. And, by, and thereby doing, what you're actually doing is trying to make yourselves superior. He says, how about this? How about if you think of us this way? And Paul uses two different Greek uh, terms uh, to, to self-identify with. And, and he starts with this one. He says, how about if you think of us as servants, or some translations would have uh, ministers. The Greek word is huperetes. He said, how about if you think of us as, as servants, as uh, uh, ministers? But then he also says, how about if you think of us as stewards, oikon, oikonomus? How about if you think of us that way? And thereby, and Paige Patterson says this in his commentary on Corinthians, you, you end up with two different terms describing the high end and the low end of service within a household or within a family, this, this whole service, servant thing. So he says, okay, here's what we are. And let's go, let's go back to the word. We are servants, huperetes, I said. It literally meant under rower. They, they were the slaves down in the galley of the ship, rowing, literally rowing, propelling the ship forward. It was a, literally about as low a position as you could get. Now, it was a very important position. Obviously, if the ship's going to move forward, you better have some under rowers. It was a very important position, but it wasn't very glamorous. Probably not very safe either, I wouldn't think. Probably not a long life expectancy. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you're an under rower. And Paul says, 
you want, you want to build us up? You want to put us in? Here's what we are. We're under rowers. We're the lowest of the low. But then, remember I said he uses two words? He said we're under rowers, but we're also oikonomos. We are servants. And again, uh, Dr. Patterson, uh, who I, I love, my, my uh, theology professor in seminary, uh, Patterson says this in his commentary in 1 Corinthians, the steward was the slave who had become so completely trusted, listen to what he says, so completely trusted that he had been given the assignment of manager over the entire house and in some cases over a whole estate. So here it is. So at the same moment, believers are galley slaves and trusted managers of the mysteries of Christ. We are both. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just, can I just say this to you? Right there, is one of, if not the key factor in a successful Christian life. To understand that from my perspective, I am nothing. I am nothing. I am an under rower. But at the same time, I have been entrusted with the most precious treasure in the entire world. I trusted enough to be to be given this glorious gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, this great news of Jesus Christ. I am both of those things. Now listen to me. I'm not saying from God's perspective we're nothing. No, 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 no. From God's perspective, He would love us so much that He would die for us. He would love us so much that He would adopt us into His family. No, you and I, as amazing as it sounds, you and I are precious in the sight of God. I guess that's kind of why they call it amazing grace. You and I are precious in the sight of God. We, we are important to him. But what I'm saying is, from my perspective, if I can step back and, you say, and say, you know what, it's not about me, it's not about what I think, it's not about what I want, it's not about how I think something ought to be done, it's not about what I, I think, what color the carpet should be to go to that, or what the temperature ought to be, it's not, it's not, about, what, it's, it's not about me at all. It's about this amazing treasure that I have been entrusted with, that you have been entrusted with if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You are at the same time an under rower and a steward, entrusted with the mysteries of God. And so, Paul says in verse 2, as a result of that, yeah, you're an under rower, but look what you've been entrusted with. And so he says in verse 2, to read it again, in this case, or because of this, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found, say it, trustworthy trustworthy since you have been entrusted with this it, it is imperative that you be found trustworthy now there's a great question for us just introspectively to ask myself today can god trust me with this glorious great news that he's given to me uh, one of my one of our trips a few years ago into to haiti um we were working with the baptist state convention in in uh, relief work in Haiti, I guess it was. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I guess it was relief work. But anyway, the, the, the convention needed to send funding down to the missionary who was, who was staying down there permanently, and we would go in, teams would go in and help him. We'd need to send funding down uh, to help him. But there, there's so much, there was so much going on, there's so much, quite honestly, corruption within the Haitian government, at least at that time, that it just, they just didn't have a safe way to get the funds down there. And so they asked... Uh, me and our team to carry cash uh, down there with us. And I, I don't remember, uh, Rick, I think you were with me. Russell, I don't think that was the trip that, that we made down there. But do y'all, do y'all remember? I want to say it's, 
was it you? You, you don't remember that either? Maybe it's just me that had to carry it. But they, they gave me, like, I want to say, it's like, they gave me like $12,000 or $14,000, something cash money. So we want you to carry this, uh, you know, through the airport in Port-au-Prince. Have you been there? <laughs> and we want you to take this uh, and put this, this 14, 12,000, you know, 647,000. Let's, if I talk long enough, it'll get, it'll get over a million. But I think it was around 12, 14,000. We want you to take this money to the missionary there. Now listen, this is nothing against the Haitian people. But it is one of the most poverty-stricken places on earth. It is, as far as I know, it still is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. $12,000, $14,000 is more money than most of them can ever imagine in 27 lifetimes. And I can promise you, just like there would be in the United States, but I can promise you there would be people that would kill you for $12,000. And can I say this to you? Man, from the moment they, I strapped that cash on, and I thought I gave some of it out. Did I give you some, Rick? Yeah, see, I thought so. If I was going down, I wasn't going down alone. I'm not sure. Karen's not here. Karen Armstrong, she, she's traveling. But I, I'll tell you how chivalrous I was. I think I may have given her some money, too, to carry. I'm not, I don't remember. But, but it, you know, it was a lot of money. And if I tried to put it on my back, I was going to look like Quasimodo. And if I tried to put it in my stomach, I was going to look like Santa or something like that. So I dis- distributed the wealth. I was never more conscious of my surroundings and what I was doing and what I was carrying than I was during that trip. From the time I, I put it on, flew on the plane, got off the plane at Port-au-Prince, uh, fought to get into the, the whatever bands and stuff we were traveling in, traveling out uh, to the place where we were going, the missionaries and all that stuff. I was never more acutely aware of what I had been entrusted with than I was that day. Because I don't know about y'all, but I don't carry $12,000 cash every day. And I was never more acutely aware of, of what was going on, on around me and the people that were around me and what was... Now, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, what if every day we were that acutely aware of this unbelievably precious treasure that we have been entrusted with? Far more valuable than $12,000 cash. What if every day I was just that aware of what I had been entrusted, what I had been made a steward of, this glorious great news of Jesus Christ. How would that impact the way I interacted with people? How would that affect what I said to people? How would that affect, because I knew I had been given this incredibly valuable, precious thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, what what if we did that? Luke, excuse me, Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, go ahead, you can say it. Much more will be asked. Now, I tell you, my, my first mission trip overseas was, was to Kenya, Africa. And I was just so blown. I'd never been out of this country. I'd never been into a, a grocery store in another country. And, and uh, Cindy will tell you this, that for, for the first time I went into a grocery store in America after I came back, I started crying when I walked down the, the cereal aisle. Because it's unbelievable what we've been given materially, spiritually, in, in every way, and in, in over and over in my head, I just kept thinking, unto whom much is given, much is required. Unto whom much is given, much is required. Do you know what you have been given? Do you know what you have been entrusted with? Um, Acts chapter 4, or I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 4. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good, what? Stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
Listen, within the body of Christ, responsibilities will vary, but everybody has some. And part of that includes the fact that we are stewards and we've been trusted with this. Listen to me, we must, we must be good stewards of what we have been entrusted with. Sure, financially and materially and, and, and everything spiritually, but in, in this context, with, with this good news of Jesus Christ, we must, we must protect it. We must protect it in a world that wants us to tone it down and water it down and slow it down. We must protect it, this thing that we've been entrusted with. It is a message, ladies and gentlemen, that has implications for everybody's life. Look at it, uh, Acts cha- Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. It is a message for everyone. And we cannot let someone convince us that we don't need to share it with this person. Or maybe we shouldn't share it with that person. Or we, we shouldn't whatever. It's a message that's for everyone. It's a message. It's also a message of exclusivity. We have to protect the exclusivity of it. Acts chapter 4. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's it. End of story. There is no other There is no other way. And people will call you bigoted, insensitive, fanatical, Jesus freak. I don't know about you, I've probably been called worse. But you understand what I'm saying? We we must protect this thing. There's too much at stake. There's too much on the line. We we cannot allow cultural pressure to, to change the message or water down the message or adapt the message to something that might be a little more palatable because there's too many eternal souls at stake and, and, and there's too much of an exclusive idea that we, have to, that we have to protect here. We have to protect it. But not only do, must we protect it, we also, ladies and gentlemen, we must project it. You understand what I'm saying to you? We must project it. We must live out this glorious good news of Jesus Christ. We must project it with our lives. Listen to me, please. Sounded kind of demanding, didn't it? Listen to me, please. We must project out. We must show that our lives are different as a result of having this Jesus thing. Right? Otherwise, come on. What's the point? Our lives must have more joy than a life without Christ. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, how do I do that? I don't, can't manufacture joy. You don't have to. God will produce it in you if you'll do what the steps that God tells you. Here's how you can have joy in your life. Our lives must be more joyful. Our conversations must, must be more meaningful. Our marriages must be more stable. Our, our everything must be different. It must be better. We're not perfect. We don't get it right all the time, right? We sure don't. But if... This thing that I have, this relationship that I tell people about with Jesus, if this thing that I have does not cause my life to be better as a result of having it, then you understand this, to the world, that gospel isn't even worth the paper it's written on. Why at school, in the workplace, in your home, in your family, why would I want what you've got when I don't see any difference that it's making for you? Man, we, we, got it, we, we have to project this out. People have to, man, that... that that guy is, you know who that was for me? A guy named Rick Sizemore. It was the first guy I can remember when the Lord got a hold of my life. Uh, Rick was a man, he was, a, he, was, he was like the guy. 
in high school. Now, he's a, a few years older than me, but Rick was the star quarterback. He's like 6'3 and solid and blonde hair. And he is the star quarterback. He was good. He's the star shortstop, the leading batter on the, on the team. He's the, the star forward on the basketball team. I mean, he's like everything. But you know what Rick was known for? His faith in Jesus Christ, the way he followed Jesus. And when the Lord got a hold of my life, uh, he intersected uh, our lives with, with Rick and, and, and his wife Paula at that time. I mean, it's still his wife, but I mean, at the time when the Lord brought us in, intersected together. And I can remember thinking, man, what is it about this guy? He didn't even, he didn't even care what other people thought. That's what I'm saying. We, we, we've got we've to project it. Listen, uh, James, the Apostle James said this. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. You're sure not convincing the world that it's worth having. We have to protect it. We have to project it. And we have to, there's a little bonus one, we have to proclaim it. We have to proclaim it. Now, listen, what I said is certainly true. We have to live out the gospel. But listen to me. Everybody, look up here at me. We can't just live out the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to, at some point, open our mouth to our friends, our neighbors, our classmates, our, our friends, whoever it is. We have to open our mouth and share this message of hope for a lost and dying world. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, so that you might be adopted into the family of God. If you would, by faith, trust Him. Now that took, what, all of about ten seconds to share the gospel right there? But that's it, folks. And we have to... Proclaim it. It's, it's not enough to just, sure, we ought to live it, but it's not enough to just live it. Somebody has to say something, speak up, do something. Listen, the reason, the reason I keep, we keep, in this 2018, we have been harping on this idea of hashtag ask the question. The reason I keep harping on you about asking the question of every person that you encounter, work with, at Walmart checking out, uh, across the, the table from you in a classroom, to ask of every single person, for you to ask yourself, where will this person spend eternity? The reason that I keep harping on that is because, you know, pastors sometimes talk about wanting to lift people's burdens. Can I be honest with you? I love you so much, I want to give you a burden. I want to give you a burden for the lost around you, a burden that is so heavy that you can't keep quiet about it, that you're so burdened by the lostness of people around you that you have to say, live it, yes, but you have to speak a word or share a testimony or, or do something. You understand what I'm saying to you? We, we have to be willing to proclaim it. And, and, and here's why. Here's why just projecting it is not enough. You've probably read these words. The Apostle Paul writes them to the church in Rome. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We love that. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls. Y'all say that out loud with me. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Get excited. We'll have church in here in a second. Wait a minute. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? This is a very logical argument, ladies and gentlemen. And how can they believe in him if they've, if they've never heard about him? Oh, but I was a really good person around them. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them, tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I won't ask you to take your shoes off this morning. You might have a riot in here. 
Then how do your feet look? <laughs> I'm sorry. My granddaughter Ellie, yesterday, she took my shoes off. I was, I was watching while they were uh, loading up stuff and everything. And uh, she, took my, she took my shoes off. I was sitting on the couch. And she, she just grabs my foot and she, she just takes a, just smells my foot. She says, your feet smell good. I said, well, I'm glad for your sake that they do. Otherwise, I'd be dialing 911. You hear what he's saying here? Man, how beautiful the feet of those who bring this, who are willing to, to get up and move and go and take this good news to somebody and share it, open their mouth and talk to protect it, to project it, and to proclaim it to the world around us. Ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's what we've been entrusted with. And that's why we say around here, because you might read that verse and say, man, I've heard that. that's, a great, that's a great verse for, for missionaries. I couldn't agree more. You and I are the missionaries. We have been commissioned, Matthew chapter 28. And what is it we like to say around here? Say it, life is a mission trip. Everywhere you go, everyone you interact with. Sorry, I'm getting a little worked up here. <laughs> Man, this, this, this is it, folks. Within the body of Christ, we all have responsibilities, right? And those responsibilities, okay, we know they're varies, they, they will vary. The Apostle Paul, some of the responsibilities he had or did, would be different than some of the responsibilities you and I have. Some of the responsibilities that, that I might have as a pastor might be different from those who are not a pastor. We might have different gifting, might have different abilities, might have different time schedules and all that stuff. But the point is, all of us have this responsibility. All of us have some. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? When we walk out of here today, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to say, well, that was good. And then when, when, when I call you tomorrow and ask you what the message was about, and you say, I, I, don't, I don't. What are we going to do about it? You understand? We're under rowers. It's not about us. But we have been entrusted with something that is priceless. Okay, get off that, Clay. Let's go to the next one. Here we go. Here's a second idea real quickly this morning. Within the body of Christ, the position of judge has been filled. Now, I'm going to read verse 3 through 5, then I've got a little bit of explaining to do. Before y'all jump to any conclusions. Verse 3. Uh, but to me is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not by this acquitted. For the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, or because of that, do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes who will both Bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Does that sound familiar to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? He's, he's alluding back to that, that whole reward thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I'm about to say something that may sound like I'm contradicting what I just said when I said the, the, the position of judge is filled. But what I want you to understand, when Paul says that we are not to judge... He is not referring to incidents in, in a fellow believers, and that's going to come out more clearly later on uh, in this letter. Fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. He is not saying that, we, that there are not times when we do not make, need to make an assessment or a, dare I say it, a judgment on, a, on something that they're doing in their life. He is, that's not what he's saying when he's saying, don't judge. As a matter of fact, before we even get to the end of this chapter, we're going to find that the Apostle Paul is passing judgment on some of the members of the church for what they're doing and what he's going to do about it. 
And in the very next chapter, I hope you all are here for chapter 5. If I was going to miss any chapter, I wouldn't miss that chapter. When he gets to chapter 5, he's going to get on to the church for not judging a man in the church, who's active in the church, for not judging man active in the church, who is apparently having an affair with his stepmother. I mean, we're, we're talking Jerry Springer stuff here, folks. You can't make this stuff up. And he's going he's gonna to get on to the church for not judging that situation. So he's not saying that, that there are, listen, there are times for us to call each other out. If, if we know of something that's going on in our life, especially in the area of morality or righteousness, there are times for me to care enough about you to say, listen, my sister, my brother, I love you, but, but this is going on in your life. And, and, and God says, no, no, no. What are you doing? But he clearly does say, do not judge. What's he talking about? What he's talking about, in the, and, and you're probably already picking up in the context, is that it is none of our business, it is not our responsibility to judge the ministries and the abilities and the motives of people within the body of Christ and the ministry that they are conducting themselves in. Remember, that's the whole problem. Oh, Paul, he's clearly superior. Oh, no, have you heard of Paulus? He's, he's the man. Cephas, he was with you. That, that's the whole problem. And Paul says, hey, hey, that is not your business to judge why people are, are, are involved in this particular ministry or, or how they're gifted in that ability or, or why they're doing what. That is not for you to concern yourself with. God is perfectly capable of perfectly judging each and every situation and each and every motive. You can leave it in his hands. And it's clear from Paul's wording here that some of the people had even begun to apparently pass judgment on Paul. Because remember what they're doing. They're, I'm a Paul. So if, if I'm a Paul, then what am I going to do? How am I going to build my argument? I'm going to build Paul up. Right? Oh, Paul, man, he, he's passionate, and he, he preaches the gospel, and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. The people that are of Apollos or the people that are of Cephas, what are they going to do? They're going to be effectively trying to knock Paul off of that pedestal and put their man up and say why he's superior and why, why he uh, ought to be the one that, that's, that, that we follow. There's clearly some, some things going on even within that. And so, uh, Paul says this. Let me read it again in, in the first part of verse 3. But to me, it's a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. court. The implication being that either they were or, or Paul had, had received word that they were going to begin to judge and say, oh, yeah, Paul, yeah, no, he's, he's not the guy. He's not the one we need to follow. Listen, can I say this, by the way, as I'm, as I'm talking about this, this, all this stuff may sound so petty between them, but I think I said this the very first week of this series, and as we read the beginning here this morning, most church disagreements, arguments, splits are over something very petty and trivial, and that's, that's really what this is. Oh, I like that. Uh, under rowers, just under rowers. And so, so Paul says, man, for me to be judged by you, that's a very, very small thing. The word small, uh, by the way, that Paul uses there, uh, the word in Greek is elakistas. Uh, it's, it's the superlative form of the Greek word micros, which you could probably recognize as used in our word microscope. It, it means something infinitesimally small. That's what it means. So just then, in that moment, Paul's like, whack. That's what I... It, it, Essentially, here's what he's saying. I could care less what you think about my ministry or how you judge my ministry. By the way, when Paul says there at the end of verse 3, I do not even examine myself, he's not saying that that he thought he was above reproach or he thought he was perfect or or that he never messed up. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, what he's revealing is that Paul knows even his own human flesh. 
Paul knows that he might be apt to, to, to be maybe a little too strict on himself and judge himself a little too strictly, or perhaps uh, judge himself a little too loosely and, and, and justify. We've never done that, right? We've never justified some action in our life. So he says, man, I, I don't even do that because I know the one who's perfectly capable of perfectly judging everything I do, my motives, my ministry, why I do what I do, what I do, and I'm perfectly fine leaving that in his hands. Now let me say this to you real quickly, ladies and gentlemen. If you are a person tempted to judge another person's ministry, to think, well, I, they don't do a very good job, or why don't, why don't they help over here? Why, don't they, why are they doing that when they could be doing this? Or, or I, I'm pretty sure I could, I could do that uh, stuff much better than this person does. Listen, don't, our flesh will want to go there. It will want to do stuff like that. Why does that person think they ought to uh, be involved in the praise team? What is that life group leader? That, you know what I'm saying? So if you're a person, as all of us can be, tempted to maybe kind of judge another person's ministry and what they're doing, listen, let me, listen, let me say this to you. Let it go. Leave it in God's hands. A, he's perfectly capable of perfectly judging. I'll say that again. That's like the third or fourth time. He's perfectly capable of perfectly judging perfectly. And two, that's one less thing that you'll have to stand judgment for when you get there. Because you're going too. You understand what I'm saying? Just, just, uh, Paul's saying, man, I, let it go. You don't know why people are doing what they're doing or why they're doing the ministry they're doing. Now, everybody ought to be using their giftedness. Everybody ought to be using their gifted abilities in places where they are gifted or where they feel, feel a passion for or whatever. Sure. And should we do the best job we can? Sure. We absolutely, absolutely should. But Paul says, just let God handle that. And then B, let me say this. If you are a person that struggles with feeling inferior or, man, I just don't do as good a job of that or when I get ready to teach and, and, and it just couldn't come out right and I, I just don't this, I, I, don't, I just don't feel like I can. Listen, take a lesson from Paul. I don't give a rip. I don't care what you think. I'm doing what God has asked me to do and I'm doing the best that I can. But if you want to judge me for what I'm doing... It is a very small thing. Listen, can I say this to you? God's opinion is the only one that really matters. Can you, can you remember that? In your ministry and what you're doing, and when people are not paying attention to you or wish they'd give you more credit or, they're, or they're, they think you're doing a bad job with this, can I, can I just remind you of this? God's opinion is the only one that matters. There was this guy, older gentleman that I knew in a previous church that I pastored, he was in his 80s when I uh, knew him. And he, man, this guy knew the Bible. Man, did he know the Bible. He knew it backwards and forwards. He, I forget how many times he told me he had read the Bible all the way through, like 22 times or something. Uh, he had read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, all the way through, read it through. In a Sunday school class uh, that he was in, he, he was always ready to, with every answer for every question that the teacher would bring up. And, and, and so I, I, I said to him one day, I kind of confronted him one day, and I, I said, I said, Richard, why, why, why don't you teach a class? I mean, and I, I said, I said, are you like, you think there's going to be a trivial uh, Bible pursuit game in heaven and you're just warming up for, to get the gold or something? I mean, what, what is all this knowledge for? Why don't you, here's what he told me. So when I was like 22 years old, he said I was asked to, uh, to substitute and teach a 14, 15 year old uh, youth boys Sunday school class. You've ever done that? Brutal. (laughs) 
But he's asked to, so, so he, all week, man, he studies, he prepares, he, he's, blah, 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 he's ready, he's ready. And so the Sunday comes, and he teaches the 14, 15-year-old uh, boys' uh, Sunday school class. And he says, uh, at, and when class was over, the kids are filing out. And he says that they're filing out. This one kid looks up, and he says, man, you're the worst teacher I've ever heard. Went right on out the door. And Richard said, I made up my mind right then. I would never teach anyone again. Now listen, he's got his own issues, and, and, and he should have gotten over that and whole, all that bad. And I'm sure this 14, 15-year-old kid, he's just being a 14, 15-year-old kid, not thinking about what he's saying. But you understand what, what he's saying, what Paul's saying here? Man, don't, it's a small thing what other people think. If you're doing what God has called you to do, and we all ought to be doing, if you're doing what God's called you to do, he will judge your actions, your motives, your, your accomplishment. He'll handle all that. He'll reward you accordingly for that. And what other people, what other people think? Infinitesimally small. Everyone is gifted differently, and everyone is called to use those gifts and abilities for the glory of God and the good of the body. Paul is speaking plainly to the believers there in Corinth. And as we'll see next week, he's going to get even more direct with them. All of us need to be reminded that we don't know others' motives, and we have no business passing judgment on others' service within the church. Our focus needs to be on God's expectations for our own lives. If we can do that, we'll be doing our part to preserve unity in the body. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.